0: Welcome to the next edition of the Work Healthy Podcast. I'm John Ryan, and you're very welcome. Today I'm joined by a former Chief Human Resources Officer of the World Economic Forum, Chief Learning Officer at the World Bank, and Director of Human Resources at the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development, none other than Paolo Gallo. Palo has followed up his first book, The Compass and the Radar, with his latest seven games, where he steps back and views our work-life journey and gives advice as to how to make it better. He explains that the most important step is about truly and deeply understanding who you are and what you're good at, and that being the first step to growth and development and life satisfaction. We also discuss midlife crises, and how to make successful transitions, and how your happiness is normally related to the relationship you have with your direct boss, and how when that goes wrong, it can affect your family too. I started by asking Paolo to take a big picture view of the workplace as he now sees it.
1: Well, thank you. first of all, John, thanks so much for, for inviting me. A pleasure to, to, to have this conversation with you. Um, listen. If you if you think about uh, you know how you manage uh, human capital in organizations, I think there are uh, several waves that has completely transformed the role of leaders and also HR practitioners in organizations. There are some building blocks that force us to rethink uh, not only you know what we do, but why we're doing it, which kind of problem we try to solve, and. Uh, Without having a specific uh, sequence of order, but I, I can see at least four. One is actually very close to what we the two of us have been working for many years is how you protect the well-being of individuals, okay? And this is a, is a triage because the individual is a responsibility. The organization has a huge uh, uh, responsibility as well with the policies and the culture, and the manager has a big role to play in in that specific domain. So one, one blocker is uh, how you maintain uh, the well-being of the individual because it's a prerequisite for them to perform, point, point number one. Point number two, how you develop contextual intelligence, uh, which is fundamentally the capacity to connect the dots with everything that is happening outside your sector, okay? You can be in banking, in consulting, luxury, or, or, or whatever sector you may think of, but you cannot ignore what's happening outside. And I think COVID, uh, the war in Ukraine, uh, and now what's happening in Israel and in Palestine, uh, is it, so clear that you need to be aware what's happening outside. To me, uh, opening the window and having intellectual curiosity, connecting the dots, collaboration is is a is a big chunk of work uh, over and above the the operational dimension. Okay. The third one, if if you think about, it, is. Uh, is uh, how new technologies are completely change uh, whatever we do okay and uh, i can provide many examples but uh, it's fair to say that uh, uh, you know whatever you do in, in terms of l- managing human capital has completely changed i mean uh, organization that uh, you know, I, I quote uh, ibm ibm used to have uh, 600 recruiters now they have four and why why because uh uh, the recruitment process and managed with artificial intelligence. So now we have people that have to read uh, the data and understand if candidates are qualified rather than uh, having the interview. Last but not least, uh, if all of this is true, okay, uh, understanding the mega trends that are impacting our life, taking care of uh, people' well-being and uh, uh, understanding how technology is reshaping the activities we perform, this implies that the last but not least is how you actually work with leaders to prepare them to deal with this transformation. So uh, the, the way I see that the role of HR practitioners and also leaders in organization has been completely changed because before was a lot with uh, compliance with internal laws. you know or you know you go through the performance management, the budget review, the salary increases, the hiring, the firing, and, and you know maybe some internal organization. fair enough. And it's still present. I'm not saying that this element is gone, but it's not anymore the way I see prevalent vis-a-vis the responsibility and the accountability of leaders in organisation.
0: Interesting. So, I mean, the role of a leader then, um, that that, it's funny, uh, I was only speaking yesterday uh, about this and um, whether the new generation of people coming into the workplace, are are expecting the leaders of those organizations to actually take a position on the issues of the day. Um, that, that could, to a lot of leaders, be very, very dangerous because they're m- much happier to have a PR company do a, a very safe PR release. Whereas the world we're living in, uh, the newer generations expect to kind of have in the moment views uh, from their leaders as to, what are the issues that uh, the world is facing and how do they respond to that? Do you th- do you think leaders are ready for that? And do you think it's fair to ask them to do that?
1: Uh, I, this is a very good, good question. I, I don't know the answer, but what I do know, also because I have the opportunity to, you know, teach at university, engage with uh, people half my age or even less than my age, is a. Uh, uh, the new generation wants to understand a, a very simple question, which is what do you stand for? Mm. Okay. And um, and so what are the value system that drives your organization? No. And um and uh, and 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 the full organization is to be clear what they stand for vis-a-vis uh, important, relevant issues for the younger generation, okay. Does uh, that mean that every leader is prepared to uh, have a press conference and discuss about climate change or, 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 or the war in Ukraine? Uh, this I don't know, but I do what I do know that uh, even before looking at uh, you know pension plans, job description, organizational charter, uh, there is an element of uh, um, uh, alignment with the values of an organization that people are more and more demanding, which I believe is a very positive thing. And. Uh, you know, when uh, some organization are uh, going through uh, scandals or, or whatever, you see uh, a huge decrease of people that want to apply to this organization. No. And, um, and uh, I don't want to pick up an organization in particular, but, uh, you know, everybody knows that you make a lot of money when you work for a tobacco company. Why? Because they have to buy people because that fundamentally you are selling death when you're selling cigarettes. And uh, and so to me, the lack of uh, of an of um integrity stance uh, in 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 what you do in the organization uh, comes with a cost. Um, and, and therefore, going back to to your question, I, I think is is more and more important to 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 younger generation to a clarity not about the activities and the profit and the financial results, but to say what you stand vis-à-vis this issue. Are you serious about inclusion? Are you serious about? Uh, Gender parity? Are you serious about uh, fighting climate change, or just uh, you know you do a nice video, you put a nice picture on the on the internet, and that's mm-hmm. about it? Because people they're not fooled. Mm-hmm. I
0: think that's the truth. They 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 aren't fooled by that. And one of the things we've heard is a lot of people turning up to job interviews now are asking the question, "What's your sustainability story?" They're expecting the organization to, to absolutely have a story that they can articulate and, and tell. I think that's very positive, you know, yeah. and, and and I suppose probably um, one part of me is saying that it's not just the new generation. I think that the whole workforce has yeah. actually shifted a little bit and they have different expectations to maybe what work was like when we started our, our, our journeys in, in terms of this. Uh, another role, obviously. Uh, I, I I know you're into sport too. Uh, I I look at um, you know soccer, uh, football, and um, I see the roles changing slightly, and particularly the role of a goalkeeper. Uh, it's not a shot stopper anymore. They actually are. You know, their distribution of the ball is key, and they nearly become um, an eleventh outfield player in in part of the match. So that's been a redefinition. I I I'd love your view on. The role of a manager. Is is a manager nearly sort of a role that's kind of gone? Is it under threat Um, or is it fundamentally changing um, for organisations that are actually really going for
1: this new world of work? It depends on how you define a manager because uh, uh, if you look at the old uh, military approach uh, or the carrot and stick, uh, that that role is gone. Is dead, and there's nobody that wants to ever. You know, sometimes I remember recently because I, I was cleaning up some of the papers. Uh, I read on a on a on a performance appraisal that I got a few years ago uh, uh, that my my boss wrote: uh, uh, Paulo is paid to work, not to think. And uh, and uh, I laughed because I remember, you no, know, resigning after three months, and uh, and and the guy said, "Why do you do this?" And I said, "Well, because I'm still able to think." <laughs> and yeah. so I mean, going back to your question, is uh, uh, if if the idea of a leader is is still based on control, then that role is is like the typing machine or the gramophone is gone. Uh, if the role of the leader is to facilitate to grow and develop people. Is uh, is is to uh, create uh, what you know better than me the psychologically safety um, that is needed for people to thrive and, and to develop. Then I think that role uh, is 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 more and more important. Um, I'm not so sure that everybody um, understood that and internalized this idea uh, fully. Um, even today, I just give an example, I, I just read an article on The on the Economist literally just before we have this conversation yeah. in which the average pay in UK for CO is 14 million, which is uh, 350 times higher than the average work in the company they're dealing with. But th- I have a bit of a problem with that because it fundamentally means that these people by January 1st uh, in the evening, they already made the money that everybody makes in one year and so to me leadership is not only a, a, a behavioral issue there is a fairness element fairness element no and uh, and uh, everybody understand that uh, you know messi makes more money than uh, the average mm-hmm. player in uh, in the rest of the world absolutely you know but we i haven't seen a lot of messi in in my in professional career so to me part of the the leader is also to create a not only the psychological safety, but the perception that there is an element of fairness in how people are treated, mm. and uh, it's much more than uh, having an anti-arrestment policy. is is related to the daily behavior that uh, people are observing, and if they are inconsistent with the values, uh, the leader doesn't really work. Yeah, it's it's funny because the importance of we we
0: see it when you talk about health and well-being, people automatically think of a certain thing, but. If I was to identify the thing that seems to affect people's health and well-being organizationally, it is that relationship with their manager. It is so key critical and i you know one of the points in in your book you you mentioned uh, a bad boss you had, and you say one of them was simply despicable, repugnant person, he fully met all the criteria of a narcissistic psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's living with you, but this is the truth. Like that, bad managers absolutely hugely affect us, and it stays with you.
1: Uh, yeah. Now, here I, I encourage people to do a very simple exercise. No, I'm uh, I just turned sixty, and uh, and I was reflected by my my own journey. And I started working when I was uh, twenty four, so it's been quite a long ride. No, and so on that line represents thirty six years of my life, of which uh, 32 employed in an organization, I had uh, 18 uh, different bosses, okay? And uh, and I was measuring how happy I was in my career. And, and to me, actually, the, the correlation between my happiness my engagement wasn't at all on, on the salary or, or the title, but mm. the quality of the lead that I was working with, yeah. okay? Some of them wonderful individuals. I became personal friends with some of them. Uh, just great guys, great great guys. I mean, sorry, in American terms, but you know, I yeah, so yeah, yeah. It with a woman called Oliki, Hassan, Jean, uh, Fabio, the w- wonderful people, no. Uh, but some of them were kind of okay, or you know, they were kind of almost uh, non existent other than just maybe checking or approving expenses. Uh, um, uh, two of them were pretty bad, and one was just just atrociously devious. And um, and uh, and I, I realized that how unhappy I was, and how this unhappiness um, also uh, deteriorated my relationship with with my wife and my daughter because I, I just had no emotional energy left when I was coming back from the office, and I was uh, uh, crying a few times, and uh, I was nervous. So here, here to say that um, you know, being a good leader is is not a bullet point in a job description; is the a quintessential element. That allows people to to thrive, to perform, and uh, and when I say happy, I don't mean uh, the shallow happiness of uh, eating a strawberry cake. I'm yeah. I'm talking about being content and being uh, engaged, being in the zone, uh, being uh, uh, you know totally delighted about doing whatever you're doing. It's something that I experienced many times for even prolonged period of, of my life. So I would say probably seventy percent was happy, twenty percent kind of uh. Ten percent very miserable, and in that period, uh, the suffering was quite quite remarkable.
0: Mm, so, I mean, I, I I think you know if organizations really care about their people, they need to you know find out who are those toxic bosses and get rid of them um, because that that they're ruining people's lives. I think that's really important. So, I mean, to me, um, the ultimate test here is um, you you've a daughter, I've you know kids too, and. Um, the advice that you're giving to your daughter about her, hopefully maybe forty years of work ahead of her, whenever she goes into an organisation, because because I'm trying to get a sense of and um, the the book you've written, which I love, it's brilliant. It's it's just written in such a kind of slightly like cathartic kind of. And um, mm. I I feel you. It's been bottled up for a while inside you, and it, it's like as if I'm now letting it all out. But um, <laughs> you've done it in a way that creates a, a model for people to follow, which is nice. And and maybe we can kind of track through it that way. Actually, I mean, like that's me saying that, but why did you write the book?
1: Oh, this is a very good question, Charles, because it actually goes back to my daughter. Her, her name is uh, Sadika, she's uh, almost 18. And uh, at the beginning of the book, I told this story, which is a true story, which is um, um, pretty much every Saturday, we had uh, a lovely breakfast. day of course, during the week, uh, you 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 rush to whatever uh, things you need to do and my daughter is always late to go to her at school uh, but on saturday we have a, a meaningful conversation i've been asking her for many years what did you learn this week and um and uh, she also answered in a, in a in a in a profound way and when she was still a uh, younger she was referring to what she learned uh in geography or history or chemistry the last few years she started to shift uh, about what she's learned about yourself okay so in in a way it was a good sign of self-reflection, but last uh, two years ago uh, over Christmas I remember she asked me, "But Daddy, what did you learn?" Hmm. And uh, I said, "That's that's a tough question." So I asked two weeks to to get ready. So one day I I, I told her, "I'm ready to tell you what 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 I what I've learned." Let's have a pizza. So we had we went out just me and my daughter. I told her what I've learned. She asked me a lot of questions with a wonderful. Conversation, pizza wasn't that great, I say, But <laughs> conversation, conversation, was greater. Huh? And uh, two days later, I found uh, a yellow sticker on my on my on my uh, computer to say, "Daddy, I love your story. Why don't you write a book about it?" Wow! And um, and so the week after, I say, "I will." And uh, I said, "Oh yeah, but please don't take it five years. It's the other one because." <laughs> former one, it took okay. a long period of time because I was working, uh, and uh, yeah, so yeah, I yeah. only write uh, after nine in the evening or, over the weekend. So it was was also very very intense for me. So I did write this book, but one of the things I told, I say, yeah, it's true that I I've met a thousand of people, interviews, uh, conversations, and even in my coaching session, hundred of them. But I don't really feel that I had a thousand of conversations. I think I had the same conversation a thousand of times, because the the the, the issues and the challenges that I saw from people and want to say people from all over the globe because I work in native two different countries. So it could be, you know, uh, an engineer from Guatemala or, or an economist uh, from Thailand uh, or a manager from the United States. It really doesn't matter. Uh, we all struggle with, with similar uh, issues uh, somewhere in, in the journey of our of our life. So I, I, I start putting literally uh, color sticks on on the floor, and one day I I, I saw there was a theme emerging, uh, and there were seven colors on the floor. I said, "Okay, th- these are the themes that I saw that are recurring from from people," and so that was uh, the beginning of, of 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 visualization of of the book. Uh, that's why it's called the Seven Games, uh, because Seven Games to me implies that seven sequential phases of your personal growing. And the reason why I call them games is because you need to understand some of the rules so that regulate how you progress in these games, okay? In in your journey. So the idea of adult development is not mine; it's Carl Jung. Uh, um, but the 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 idea of 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 helping the the reader to find out where you are is fundamentally the purpose of of my book. Mm-hmm. Okay, because I, I you know I don't know if you have, but in
0: in Ireland uh, we've got these escape rooms. Uh, I don't know if you, you if you have yeah. them, but but basically it's it they're like games, and you go into the first room, and you have to work out what it's it's all about, and there's some yeah. test in there, and it's only if you figure out the test that you can go through the to the next room and and on. So I, I see your games been a little bit like that, <laughs> okay. uh, so so it's interesting. Um, the the first one is obviously the inner game, trying to figure yeah. out who you are, and this is one of the things that I don't know what you think on this, but. I actually think most people who I meet don't actually know
1: who they are. I tend to agree with you. And one of the questions I always ask people, uh, and I've been a head of HR for 16 consecutive years, is regardless of the level of the job, I ask people, why are you doing what you're doing? Okay, Mm. And I haven't found a lot of people that are able to answer this. So they they said, oh, you know, there was a vacancy or my cousin left. They were looking for somebody to replace him. And while I do understand that at times there are opportunities and you need to grab, but to me is it, I, I, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's like going to a train station and, and pick up and just climb on the first train because there is an opportunity to take a train. Now you, you should know where you're going, okay? And so to me the the awareness uh, of understanding who you are and what you're good at is a prerequisite to grow because otherwise if you don't have an internalized that dimension, you may be successful, but you're successful for something that doesn't belong to you, okay? Yeah. It's almost that like you have to act for the entire life. So uh, to me, understanding uh, what you stand for, what are you calling, what do you believe, what are you good at, how you actually progress, and this is called the better game, and how you master what you're doing, is an essential component of your life. Because if you don't do it, uh, is, 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 really, is a sad journey. You're on the wrong train. You're on the wrong direction. It's like you know you want to go to the seaside, and you find yourself in the middle of a desert. You're in the wrong place, and maybe the place is beautiful, but it's not the one for you. Mm. So, to me, understanding uh, this this journey is very important. Um, of course, you can you can change or, or or take some 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 different direction in the course of your life, but you you need to have clarity of thoughts and feeling about what is a meaningful journey for you. Otherwise, is it's difficult, it's difficult
0: to me. Uh, you know, we we tend to ask people when they're about 17 or 18 to decide what they want to do for the rest of their lives. And if you could pick a moment in your life when you are probably least equipped to make that decision, yeah. I think it's when you're 17 or 18. And I, I think it's a it's a really flawed way. And I've met those people who, have kind of fallen into a career, and they're kind of unhappy. But it, they they they're kind of saying, "Well, well, work isn't supposed to be fun, is it? It's it's a means to an end." And I think it's trying to say to those people, actually, no, it it, it can be the best part of your life if you're doing what you love and what you're good at.
1: No, it's true. It also times you you. Uh, I ask people in my coaching uh, sessions. What do you do when you don't know what you're doing now? Meaning, let's say that, uh, you, you like today, no, you, you, you have, uh, you know, this podcast with me, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, if you have free time between five and eight, you know, between your last uh, working, uh, engagement and, and dinner, what do you do? Because, uh, if, if you have not planned, uh, you, you kind of follow your instinct. Are you reading a book? Are you doing sports? Are you engaging with people? Are you scrolling Facebook feeds? Are you volunteering in an association? So to me, understanding what is a natural inclination for you to do is give you a bit of a sense. And, and then another element I, I'm gonna make you laugh here because the first time that uh, I was at school and uh, the, the, the school, the teacher t- took us to see a museum. And then uh, we needed to, uh, to to share our opinion about this this museum. But the teacher, even before me fairing the opinion, she gave me a, an amazingly low mark, which fundamentally means I'm not even interested because you were not. And so I, I went to her and said, why did I get three? Three out of 10 is pretty bad. It's like getting yeah, yeah, yeah. okay? And she said, oh, Paula because you, I, I saw you and you were not looking at the paintings. You were looking at the face of the people looking at paintings. And uh, I said, yeah, because I'm interested to see people reaction, okay? And so that was to me a, a, a moment of awareness that I'm more interested in people behavior than, than, than the rest. And so the fact that I end up, you know, studying what I've done and been a, a coach writing books about personal development to become the a, a chair director in some organization kind of validated that since I was a child, I, I'm, I'm really interested to see people behavior because to me is an immensely fascinating and at times disappointing subject in understanding how people behave. Hmm. So
0: is your advice then to people. So many of them are just sleepwalking through life and um, just kind of maybe uh, there's a little bit of social media here where it's much easier to distract yourself when maybe you need to go into a deep thought uh, to try and get an understanding of who you are. I mean, are there tools out there like we talk about AI, you know, taking over the world and the like? Are there tools out there that will make it easier for people to deeply understand who they are so that they can actually match themselves? Because, you know, we talk about the great resignation and all that. I mean, I yeah. think the great rematch is, is what's actually needed, because where I see the problems is where there's a misalignment between the person and the organization and yeah. their their role and what they're doing every day and the leadership and the culture and the, the values and the like. When there's that dissonance, then you get disease. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no. here, uh, you, you, you nailed it, uh, John, because uh, in, in my first book, uh, The Compass and the it was really related to, uh, to people in organizations, no? And, and if you want to summarize that book in one phrase, I would say, whatever you do in an organization that is aligned with your values as an individual, okay? Mm-hmm. Because if not, uh, there is this uh, lack of congruence between what they claim they do and who you are that is not helpful. And uh, you know, or you become an actor and you fake it, but it's heavy. Or you're constantly being uh, unfit uh, to to be in that that organization, no? And I I saw it in my in my own professional life. In one case, I was totally aligned with the values of the organization. In one case, I uh, I realized that the values of this organization were very different from what they claimed they were, and therefore I wasn't uh, I wasn't uh, uh, at all happy. Yeah. So I- in this book, I'm I'm really trying to put an emphasis on. Um, on um, understanding um, what matters to you. And uh, there is an exercise at page 105, which uh, I would not reveal, and hopefully maybe one person would buy will buy this book, which is <laughs> Order, Order to the Joy, which is uh, fundamentally, um, I can give away a bit of the secret here, is simply to say wh- whatever, think about moments in your life where you are at your best, okay? And uh, things that uh, that provides joy to you, and uh, and try to replicate uh, this moment in in whatever activity. I, I I I say to people, listen, don't think about a one lifetime event like having a child or getting married because you cannot have a a child every day, and hopefully you cannot you, you're not going to get married every every week. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, when you look at a moment that made you happy, content, satisfied, uh, uh, in a profound way. Um, can you, can you um, cut and paste or replicate this uh, in your daily activity? Because if the answer is yes, uh, then that direction is a meaningful one to you. So when I did this exercise, there was a theme that was constantly emerging in my moment of happiness, which was autonomy and learning. So to me, being autonomous, uh, I mean, deciding what I do and how I do it, and maybe I'm, I'm I'm a bit of a rebel, is essential. And at the same time, I want to learn and help other people. So to me, an activity that allows me to be autonomous, learn and help other people is exactly what I want to be in my own personal and professional life. And that, what I'm doing right now, I think, uh, totally fits with that dream. So I'm helping people. I mean, if I'm good in doing it or not, that's not, not my call, but at least I know I'm in the right, in the right place. No? So I'm helping people to to reflect with this exercise. Is not uh, very difficult. But I've done it a hundred times with my 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 clients uh, in coaching, and uh, most of them told me that was for them a watershed moment to have clarity about their professional life.
0: I also think it's it's interesting to see what are the the moments that you you hate, and the things you hate because that can also lead you to sort of say there are the things I have to stay away from. And um, I, I, let's let's skip to kind of the the crisis piece because you talk about one of those games been been a crisis hitting your life. And what I've come across, I don't know um, why this is (laughs) most recently, but I'm coming across a lot of people who are hitting a midlife crisis. And it's like as if they've been kind of just going and going and going and doing what they've been told to do in, in terms of work, in terms of, you know, getting promotions. And then suddenly they get to their 50s and they kind of go, I'm actually not really happy.
1: Yeah. No, John, this is to me is, um, is, uh, probably the most difficult. Um, moment of your professional life. No, let's keep aside for a second, maybe toxic uh, organizational, or toxic bosses, but, uh, in my, in my experience, uh, when you are anytime between mid to late forties to early fifties, you hit that moment. And this moment is usually coincide with, uh, your kids being teenager, uh, your elderly parents, you have a mortgage. So there is a bit of pressure that on on your shoulder, because understandably you have uh, uh, responsibilities for for the people you love. No, but it's also a moment where you say, I'm not so sure. I want to play, you know, the second half of my professional life. If you're in the mid forties, uh, the way I played uh, the first half of my professional life so in 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 my book on the chapter that i called the crisis game i try to help people to to navigate that moment because when it happened to me it was a difficult moment that I, I immensely um, you know benefited from working with a with a super coach and and the reason why i decided to become a coach is because i said oh my god this person has been so helpful to me uh, let me try to be helpful to other people with the same extent awfully that i have received from uh from this uh, coach, her name is Catherine. And um, why I'm telling this, because that moment occurs, regardless of whatever other circumstances, no? And when this moment occurs, uh, I notice that people respond with uh, four different modalities. Three of them, they get you nowhere. One of them is a meaningful one. And so I help people uh, to understand the process of transition, because if you manage the transition correctly, you can play effectively the reinvent game, and the reinvent game is a profound transformation that allows you to have the energy, the enthusiasm, and the the physical, the mental, and cognitive uh, and emotional abilities to continue to be relevant for an extra 15, 20 years. If not, uh, you start the decline, and the decline is sad to watch. Uh, and eventually, when you start the decline, some organization will realize that you are in the middle of that decline, and somebody will ask you to step away and uh, and be replaced by somebody else. So to me, it's a critical juncture of everybody's life. And uh, sure enough, in, in in my coaching practice, 80% of my clients are currently dealing with these issues right now. Mm,
0: that's interesting uh, because uh, I think when you're looking at a workplace and a workforce, it's probably interesting to kind of look at them in terms of cohorts of people who are going through different transitions in their lives because the, the needs that you have, um, and the support maybe that you require is very, very different at those different stages of, of life. Absolutely.
1: no, absolutely. I mean, the, the 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 and there is actually in my book, a few pages near the end to say uh, uh, the question that is relevant to you and who could help you in that specific juncture of, of your of your, prof, of your professional life. And I think, again, the most difficult one to navigate is the crisis. And crisis is a Greek word uh, that means a uh, necessity of that decision. It's not uh, something you need to avoid, uh, it's something that you need to embrace. So because you 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 solve difficulties by going to them, not by avoiding them. So mm-hmm. I encourage people to, uh, you know, uh, in my book, in my teaching, my articles to say, hey, when, when you see a crisis, a great opportunity uh, for you to rethink who you are and to reinvent yourself. And reinvent yourself is not uh, changing the picture on LinkedIn. Revent yourself uh-huh. is a much deeper uh, exercise that helps you to redefine you as an individual and also leaving behind some of the elements that were motivating for you in the first part of your professional life. So it's like shedding off the skin of, of the previous version
0: of, of you. So do you think people um, find that scary?
1: Oh yeah, it's, it's a bloody scary moment because uh, you know, uh, okay, if there are this cliché, the comfort zone, et cetera, et cetera, but you know, y- your identity, and I, I can be, you know, very, very personally. Mm-hmm. You know, my identity for twenty years had been the director of human resources. No, so I was part of the circle. I was well known. Uh, you know, I think I had a, some some good reputation. I hope. And uh, when you when you remove this badge, you you kind of. A, Alone, you know, and, uh, and and this is a scary moment of your life because you're not anymore what you used to be. Uh, but you cannot define yourself or what you used to be all your life. No, it's like a, you cannot say, oh, I used to, you know, for example, my wife, her name is it's Lalia, but I don't define myself as a former boyfriend of Christine. <laughs> OK, so, you <laughs> you, I, I, I will get into trouble with my wife and with Christine <laughs> because I know I know now she's 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 married. But joking beside you, you cannot um continuously define who you are by referring it to what you were uh, you need to redefine who you are by looking at the future and building uh, this uh, identity in a meaningful way if you constantly live uh, on the past uh, then that's the beginning of the decline and the decline is usually not a nice journey it's so true because I, I see so many people who identify
0: by virtue of the job or the company that they work for. And I just think that's so scary because if they lose either, they lose their own identity.
1: Yeah, it is because I, I give you an example. You know, when, uh, when you work in an organization, okay, uh, Deloitte or Oesthen Young or McKinsey or Citibank or Procter & Gamble or World Bank, uh, just pick up any organization you may think of. Uh, you you are kind of benefiting from an identity provided by this organization. Okay, so when, for example, they invite you to give a speech, uh, and I've been to many uh, places where I've been invited, they were not actually inviting Paolo, they were inviting the head of human resources of uh, the World Economic Forum or the European Bank or, or, or the World Bank. Okay, and and, and people don't get it uh, because when you are in that game. Uh, you feel that oh Jesus I'm so important they're calling me no they're not calling you they're calling the organization you represent when you leave this organization and uh, the choice that I made is, is to 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 become a independent consultant you remove the badge and, uh, and 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 you're naked and so you have to define your new identity that cannot be benefiting from a, an identity provided by the company and this is this is not easy okay. And so, what do you do? Uh, and, and the mistake that I, 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 I tend to explain to people: if I don't focus exclusively on visibility, uh, focus on credibility. So the the point is not about having a, a million followers on, uh, on on Instagram. The point is having people that know you, your value, they know you, are, you have integrity, and know that you bring uh, uh, value and service to the community and to the people that you operate. So it, it is a difficult difficult moment in everybody's life. Uh, I'm still grateful to Catherine that she helped me out uh, immensely in that journey about 12 or 15 years ago. And, uh, and uh, you know, in, in my own, in that book, she uh, wanted the purpose to help people in, in this difficult passage in, in their professional, personal life.
0: Mm. I mean, the, the book, I have to say, it's, it's, I feel I know you better. Uh, as a result of the book, and uh, Mm -hmm. I've learned a lot of really useful uh, information. Uh, I didn't realize, did you really go to 80 Bruce Springsteen concerts?
1: Uh, Yeah, actually, yes. I started in 1885. It was a birthday present from a friend. And uh, at the time uh, I hardly knew Bruce Springsteen. I went like, okay, I go. And uh, since then i i've I've been following the guy. I was actually in dublin in, in May because I played three times in yeah, Dublin. yeah, and uh, I, I i I consider him a bit of a older brother. I don't know. Uh, okay. I admire his integrity and uh, and uh, by all means, yes, eighty concert and. Uh, I hopefully... feel bad that
0: I didn't go. I should have oh, gone. Yeah. So,
1: so as we're kind of coming to the
0: end of this, I'm just interested. I mean, you, you use words like chaos and crisis and complexity and confusion and constant change. Are Are you optimistic about the future of work and and where we're going and how we're redefining it? Are Are you kind of nervous and and scared? Um, what's your big call out?
1: listen, I I remain, despite everything, a fundamental optimistic individual, and uh, by defining with the five Cs, uh, I'm simply conveying to people to say, listen, whatever is coming next uh, is a new context, okay? And context uh, is a neutral term, Uh, is neither positive or negative, that uh, fundamentally implies that you have the possibility to shape it, okay? by saying this is fundamentally put an, an emphasis on the accountability and responsibility that people and surely leaders have uh, in shaping the new context and, um, and with this book I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help people to be aware of the new context so business usual doing better what we have done in the past to me is no longer relevant and uh, implies uh, the necessity to grow as an individual which is a prerequisite to be a credible leader
0: Mm. So, so this is all about growth and understanding and awareness of the people in your organization and the potential that they can actually create. Uh, yeah. Indeed. So, I mean, uh, at the start of the book, you said hell for you is meeting the person I could have been. Uh, so do you think you're a bit closer to heaven uh, after this book? <laughs> well, from, from the uh,
1: timing standpoint, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I still have to see a few Bruce Springsteen concerts, and uh, and a few other stuff. Uh, but uh, you know, I I, I put this uh, at the very beginning, at the very end of the book, you know, which is a uh, definition of hell is uh, meeting the last day on you on the planet. You're gonna meet the person you could have become, and and therefore the visualization between uh, who you are and your potential, it, it can be scary because a lot of people that that lose themselves in that journey. But equally, uh, the hell uh, is the difference. But paradise or heaven is actually you have become what you were meant to be. Okay, And so I've been an optimistic person. I say, well, if this is hell, the the opposite of hell is heaven and heaven. And I don't want to put a religious sense, of course, but in terms of aspiration is to say. Isn't fulfilling your potential and offering to others the only meaningful journey of your life? Uh, if you agree with that statement, uh, then uh, uh, keep on growing and keep on developing yourself. Uh, is is a meaningful way of 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 using your your brain and your heart and uh, and, uh, and 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 your integrity. Um, and I just hope that this book would help uh, some of the people in that journey.
0: Yeah, well, I have to say the book took me uh, a long time to read because there's so many references. In that book, and so many links that I went into TED and TED Talks, and um, I did all the uh, the Red Bull stuff that you're getting people to do. Uh, so <laughs> for that reason, I, I I found it a treasure trove of really fantastic information, and it and it's wonderful. So um, please God, it it helps people to uh, eventually uh, get to the the heaven, which is. Uh, becoming that person that you can be. So uh, I think you've uh, done a a really great job in that. And thank you so much for spending time with us and sharing um, your understanding of the current workplace and where it's going in the future and hopefully inspiring a lot of people. Paolo, thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks to you, John, for inviting
1: me. What a pleasure to be with you.
0: What a lovely discussion and some really sage advice there. Great to spend time chatting with the wonderful Paolo Gallo. My thanks to him. Do feel free to get in touch through LinkedIn and tell me who you'd like me to interview on the upcoming editions of the Work Healthy podcast. That's it for this edition, but next time we have a real treat as we chat to my namesake, who created the self-determination theory. Until then, work healthy.